What's up, world? Welcome to another episode of Just Grow It. I'm your host, Big City Gardener, and today we are joined by a friend of mine out of the LA area by the name of Farmer Kent. Found him on Instagram, thought he was super dope, and thought I would enjoy having a conversation with him. And also, kind of, I'm sure everybody knows about him, and if you don't, come learn a little bit more about him. Here we go. All right, man. Hey, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody? All right, my name is Ken. The Farmer Ken is my business, and I am a gardener here in Los Angeles. I also do garden consultation, implementation, installation, all that. And I'm here today to talk so I can learn more about you, learn more about me. Nice, man. So, how were you first introduced to gardening? Started gardening when I was about five years old with my great grandmother and my grandmother. And I grew up in Ohio, so we would have a garden every summer, every growing season. In Ohio, you can grow from maybe around May through October, November, if you're lucky. So that's how I got my start in gardening, just watching them and helping them. Started when I was five years old, and then I had my own gardens growing up in middle school and high school. And that was the beginning of my garden journey. All right. So you were introduced by your family members. I think that's a great thing. I was also introduced to gardening by by my family. My parents really got me into gardening. Nice. Yeah, man. All right. So what is it about gardening that you just love or you thoroughly enjoy? I love being able to grow my own food so you know exactly what's going in your body, how things are grown. And then I love being able to grow different cultivars. There's so many different types of cultivars than what you find in a grocery store. Man, you don't realize until you start growing. The grocery store kind of has like just generic standard type brands and products. But when you start growing your own seeds, there's a lot of variety, which is amazing. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed kind of when I got older and got more into gardening was just the crazy amount of varieties there are. Uh, let's say tomatoes, squash, peppers, whatever it is. I was unaware that there were so many different types. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that about gardening also. So that's dope, man. So you said you're in LA, right? I am in LA. Man, tell me a little bit about gardening in LA. Here in Los Angeles, you can grow year round. So we have a Mediterranean climate. Sometimes people think we're in a desert, but we're not technically a desert. We're in a Mediterranean climate, so we have hot, dry summers, and we have a cool or mild wetter winter. So we get about 16 inches of rain. All of that happens during our winter month, during our rainy season, from pretty much November through April. That's when we get pretty much all our rain for our water year. What is really great is that in, during the wintertime, we can grow our cool season crop, and then the rest of the year, we can grow our, our warm season crops. So you're able to grow things like tomatoes and peppers year round almost out there. Yes. Tomato, peppers, and eggplant in a warm climate, they will overwinter. So they may slow down production in your winter time and then pick back up in the spring. I have an eggplant in my garden that I've had for two years. And same thing with pepper and one of my tomatoes I've had for over a year. Nice. What is the variety of eggplant that you've had for two years? Let's see. I have a Black Beauty eggplant. Okay. Still producing? It's still producing. I have about maybe eight eggplant on it right now. Yeah, it's still producing. Okay, so... Or I guess you just did tell me some of the positives. What are the negatives about growing in L.A.? Water is a negative because I give them irrigation throughout most of the year. Right. Because we don't get rain. That's the main thing is just the water. The climate's fine. Other than that, the temperature is great. We don't get a freeze here where I'm at. I'm in USDA zone 10B. Some parts of Los Angeles, 
do get some frost. Los Angeles County is huge and there's a lot of different climates within the county. But where I'm at in the city of Los Angeles, it's rare that we get a frost. And I mean, it's, it's just warm. The biggest concern is just, you know, watering, making sure your plant get enough water during the dry season. And other than that, it's pretty good. So when was the last time that you remember having a freeze in L.A. or in the part of L.A. that you're in? I've been in L.A. for six years and we haven't had one here since I've been there. I do, like if you go into the valley of Los Angeles, they get them every winter because right where I'm at in Los Angeles is is fine. Like I said, I was in 10B, but like if you go in uh, Los Angeles, the layout, there's mountains, there's valleys, there's high desert in the upper part of Los Angeles County and they get the high desert, like Palmdale area, Lancaster, they get freezes every year, every winter they do. But here, it's been a decade or so, if not longer, since Los Angeles has had, the city of Los Angeles has had a freeze. Okay. Sounds like I need to be in Los Angeles, man. (laughs) All right. So you say you've been there for six years. Yeah. Tell me how you ended up in L.A. Well, I grew up in Ohio. I went to the Ohio State University for undergrad, and then I moved to Chicago. And I spent seven years in Chicago. Went to graduate school at the University of Illinois, Chicago. And then eventually, I made my way to L.A. in 2014. I worked in education for a while, and I had opportunity to work for an organization here in Los Angeles. And plus, I wanted to change the scenery. I'm in arts and entertainment, so I wanted to be more immersed in that as well. And wanted to be in a different climate. So all that combined brought me here to L.A. And have you, along your journey to end up in L.A., have you been gardening the whole way? I have. In undergrad at the Ohio State University, I was president of an organization called Manners, which is Minorities in Agriculture and Natural Resources and Related Sciences. It's a national organization. And during my time there, we were immersed in a lot of different activities, community service, and I was involved in the cause of food, agriculture, environmental sciences there. I also had an internship at the Cleveland Metro Parks undergrad where I worked with a natural landscape specialist and that kind of helped develop my background for planting and being very strategic with your planting and working with native plants. And then I also started a community garden in Columbus while uh, in one of my African-American studies classes, which is what my major is in. And so I, uh, that's how I started my first community garden. When I was in the African-American studies class, it allowed me to give back to the community and also tie in my agriculture background. So then when I moved to Chicago, did the same thing. I was working in education, but I was a community resource coordinator in Inglewood community for a while. And there I started, a, secured a grant when we were able to start our own community garden where we did holistic approach to the garden. So we have healthy cooking and eating, fitness for the student and for the parent as well. So I always try to bring in holistic programs and activities so that, you know, you're learning, but you're you're learning in multiple ways and you're hitting a large amount of people to come together as, as a community. That's one thing that's important to me. So you've just been building community gardens all along the way. Yes. So what is it about community gardens? Why are you drawn to them? What do you like about them? And also, what do you dislike about community gardens? So I love the fact that it helps combat the food desert, which I dislike food desert. (laughs) It helps bring fresh, nutritious food and allow people to grow and learn how to grow. And especially in 
under-resourced communities and communities where people don't have the means or the, they don't have the, the area or space to grow. It, it gives an opportunity to have an area to grow their produce and to have a shared space. And that's what I really like, uh, just to see people come together and learn about growing, which is very important. Um, and what I don't like is I don't like the fact that people don't have a space to grow, you know, in their own yard, in their own area. I think that everyone should have that, you know, have that space and have that right. So, yeah, I have seen the benefit of it. I, uh, we had a community garden here in, in the Watts community when I was working for a small nonprofit when I first moved to L.A. And we helped revitalize a community garden there. And it was great to see people grow and watch their produce come up and, you know, maintain and lose the reward of growing their own food. Yeah, I think that's very important, seeing the whole process and being a part of the whole process. Uh, it just helps reconnect people back to food. And I think that's extremely important. So I, I salute you, man, for the work you've done with Community Gardens. So have you ever had any problems? I know, well, you kind of hear stories about people not necessarily wanting to put community gardens everywhere. Maybe they believe certain people might not like the gardens or use the gardens. Or you also hear the kind of the story that the garden will end up being trashed or ran over. So um, have you ever experienced anything like that with any of your community gardens, like uh, the property being vandalized or anything? No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't experienced that. What I found is that people take ownership and protect the community garden. There's a quite the opposite from my experience. You know, some of the gardens has been more elderly people taking care of them. And we pulled in some youth to kind of help plant and do different activities so they can learn how it is to grow. But I haven't experienced any vandalism in the community garden spaces that I've, that I've been in. There haven't been any issues. Yeah, neither have I with, with any of the gardens that I've ever been associated with or worked with. I've just heard stories, and I don't know that these are real stories, but I just felt like I'd ask you since you're so involved with community gardens. Are you still working with community gardens or doing anything with that? I just launched an initiative, a GoFundMe, so that I can, my plan is in 2021 to start building community garden spaces and with the Farmer Ken, which is my company. So that's what my initiative is right now. So going out next year, I will be building community garden spaces so in an under-resourced area so that people can grow. And it will be a holistic approach. So there'll be different activities so people can learn how to grow and uh, learn how to cook with what they grow. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so that's the game plan. Yeah, I think that's important, knowing what to do with the food once you cook it, because you can only eat the same thing so many times before you just get tired of it. Right. Right. Nice. With this community garden initiative, are you going to keep it local within L.A.? You're going to go all throughout California national, international. What's the plan, man? I want to take this thing as far as it can go. So I will have some garden spaces in L.A. I want to go back to Chicago and do some and then have to do some back where I come from in Ohio. But I do, I want to take this, you know, nationwide and worldwide. So there's a need for growing and, and food and there's food deserts and a lack of food. And, you know, there definitely should be something worldwide. And I would love to be part of that initiative of helping people grow and have produce, fresh produce that they can eat readily available. I love it. So whenever you come to Houston, let's get together and try to get a garden out here. 
Sounds like a plan. All right, I'm with it. There's plenty of food deserts, and I, I don't say that happily, uh, but there's plenty of food deserts in Houston, so we should be able to find an area where we can get a garden going. Let's do it. Okay, okay. So how can somebody support the uh, the Farmer Ken Community Garden Initiative movement that you have going on? The easiest way is to go to my Instagram page at Farmer Ken Official, and there you'll find a link. And if you click on that link, it'll take you to uh, the Linktree link. So it has a couple different areas on there. But the second link from the top is a community garden initiative. So if you click on that, then you'll be able to find all the information you need to support. Yeah, man. So everybody who's tuned in, go check out Farmer Ken Official and support the movement. Okay. Hey, I know in that Linktree, you have a link to your Etsy store, man. Talk about your Etsy store and what you have going on over there. So I did launch an Etsy shop, and in that store, I have I have some seeds. Majority of my other other products I have in there are seeds, and I do have some plants from time to time. I will be doing a big restock coming up soon for the upcoming growing season with a variety of vegetable seeds in there. So it's a way to get some get your garden started. So I definitely have like dill and some ornamental seeds as well. I have milkweed, which is a, a source for monarch butterflies. I have scarlet runner beans. Which you can, which is a great ornamental that you can also eat. I have nasturtiums, also beautiful ornamental and edible plant, and so I have variety throughout the year, and it changes. So that's on the farmer can Pepsi shop. Then I have some other products too. Yeah, talk about the other stuff you have, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, the sachets like with lavender eucalyptus. That was a hot item that sold quickly. I'll have more of that available soon. I have some eucalyptus trees and, and lavender bushes, so. It's a great aromatherapy, calming sachet that you can put in your bedroom, in your closet space, in the shower, and it helps calm you. I also have a couple of different plants you can use for tea. So I have fresh mint cuttings that you can make fresh tea out of. I have a lemongrass mint package where you can make fresh lemongrass and mint tea. Soon I will be having uh, lemon verbena. That's one of my favorite plants. Available on the shop and chamomile. Are you growing any? Yeah, yeah, I have it. I have it. We just had a little cold spell come through and it knocked a lot of mine back. But yeah, that's my top three favorite plants. Really? Nice. Yeah. Yes, yeah. But keep going. Keep telling them about your shop, man. Let's see. So I have, uh, yeah, there'll be a couple more products coming out for some teas soon and some uh, loose leaf teas that will be coming out as well. So getting that together now and that should be available soon on the shop. Nice. How did you come up with the products that you are featuring on your shop? Like the satchel, the eucalyptus and lavender satchel. How did you come up with that idea? So, you know, a lot of my family and friends, when they visited my space and I was doing a sensory tour, and that's one of the favorite ones. It's smelling the fresh lavender, lavender and the fresh eucalyptus. Wait a minute. You said a sensory tour? <laughs> yes, a sensory tour because I have a lot of plants that ah, okay. are fragrant. So when people come to visit, they get a sensory tour so they can smell everything. I have lemon, I have lemon eucalyptus, which is, I also have lemon eucalyptus cuttings on the Etsy shop. And I have jasmine, which you make jasmine tea out of the Arabian jasmine. So they smell those flowers as well as the lavender. I have like eight different types of eucalyptus so they can smell that. I have six different types of lavender. So then they smell different from each other. So that's part of the experience. African blue basil, which a lot of people don't know about, is one of my favorite plants. I usually give them some cuttings of that. It has a more camper smell, but it's, it's great for cooking, and it's a perennial basil on frosty zone, so it's one of my favorites. Rosemary. I have another I have a trio on my shop that I forgot to mention. Rosemary, thyme, and oregano. 
then I have a herb pack, which is a five pack, which is also a popular item with rosemary, thyme, oregano, sage, and basil. And so I have marjoram. So all those different herbs are part of the sensory tool when they come to the garden space and they, oh yeah, I've cooked with that before. Oh, I love that smell. So that's all part of the, part of the experience when I'm giving them a tour. Hey, what's up world? Sorry to interrupt the show, but I need you to do one thing. If you like this show and you're enjoying what you're hearing so far, please take a minute to give me a five-star rating. And while you're there, like and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to your podcast. I like that. I, I don't think I've ever thought about it from that aspect, like a sensory tour. That's a dope way to phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. So you know, you talked about all these things that you're growing. It sounds like you have a huge garden to be able to grow all of these things, man. Can you describe your gardening space to me and everyone listening? Okay. So I'm in the city of Los Angeles and I have a terrace backyard. So I have my whole space is terrace, but the way I have it laid out is a good portion of my yard is concrete. Starting at the bottom, at the street level, I have some native plant and some plants that attract butterflies. So I have butterfly bush, lavender. I have milkweed, actually several milkweeds now because they spread out, produce more. I have one of the African blue basils down there. I have a couple palm trees as well. Uh, so it's an area for, I get a lot of monarch butterflies that visit throughout the year and they love that space. And I see butterfly caterpillars throughout the year too in that space. And then coming on to the next level, I have a small pond and then I have potted plants in that area because it's concrete, like a concrete patio. And so in that space, I do have two rose bushes in the ground. I have a lemon eucalyptus in the ground and my pink jasmine and two lavender grapevine and a uh, Arabian jasmine. They're, those are all in the ground there. Everything else is in pots. I have uh, I have some bamboos in a pot. I have two citrus trees in pots there. One of them is the lemon, Eureka lemon. And then I have a Palamondin orange. I have my grapevine trailing over a, the way I have a setup, I have a bench. I have a, an arbor with my grapevine trailing over that. And then I trained it to go along the fence property uh, from that. And then I have, uh, I have some nasturtiums throughout. They self-seed, so they come back every cool season. I have a lemongrass, citronella grass, and yeah, I think that's pretty, oh, I have some succulents as well in that space. And so that's my first space. And then coming around to the back, I have two levels that are concrete. And the first level, I have my growth, that's my growth space. I have a little house where I can start some seedlings and stuff like that and store some things. And I have a little area with sunflowers that are blooming right now. And they, I have maybe about eight of them right now. And they're red, red sunflowers. So like red and chocolate color, nice, beautiful color. I just planted those as fall. Mm -hmm. And you have sunflowers shining. Yes. That's a beautiful vibe. That's a good vibe. Shining. <laughs> they are tall and red. And I planted those in October because I wanted to have, we can grow sunflowers here around here. So I wanted to have some sunflowers throughout the winter. So I planted a little area or some. And I have some, uh, some, some cucumbers growing up too. I just, I picked a cucumber last week. They're growing up with using the sunflowers as a trellis. <laughs> Getting cucumbers also, huh? <laughs> Getting cucumbers. Hey man, you make it hard. I, I want to move to LA just off the fact that you have sunflowers right now. Yeah. I got my trombone squash. I have like 10 squash on it right now. It, I was surprised it's still producing. It stopped for a little while. I had some squash in October and then it stopped in maybe November. It had the powdery mildew, of course, which you get on your squash and pumpkin and stuff like that over time. So I had powdery mildew. So 
I ended up trimming off a bunch of leaves and then a bunch of new leaves came out again and it started producing again. So I have a bunch of squash hanging on this trombone squash. You mentioned having a battle with powdery mildew. What do you do whenever you encounter powdery mildew? What's the farmer Ken secret? Sometimes I just cut the leaf off. The leaf is damaged. I just cut it off and it starts spreading. So, I mean, sometimes people use neem oil. Some people have used apple cider vinegar. I both dilute it. So sometimes I use that and other times I just cut the leaf off. It just kind of depends on what the, what the condition is. It's like, what, what do you do with yours? Basically the same thing, man. I either cut the leaves off or sometimes I'll mix up baking soda and some water and this little oil mixture that I have, and I'll spray it on the leaves, but that's usually it. I try not to get powdery mildew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I hate when it happens. It's like, man, luckily it usually happens towards the end of the season. I haven't had the issues with anything right? Anything getting it quickly. I usually have it after a couple of months, and I find, for me, I found it just more effective. I just cut the leaf off, and a lot of times new leaves come out. Yep. So that's for me, that's usually what happens. I cut the leaves, the damaged leaves off, and then the new ones end up coming out at some point. Yeah, I noticed that if I would get a lot of powdery mildew on whenever I was growing pumpkins. Oh, yeah. So I think what I just started doing was cutting every other leaf of the main stem. Right. But this was just for home production. I know you can't do this on a large scale, but it really helped with the powdery <laughs> mildew issue with the pumpkins. Yeah. All right, man, keep going with your... Keep telling me about the growing space, man. You were in, uh, you said you're at your second concrete space in the back. Yeah, so I have great, this area I have, I expanded out and added more raised beds. So I have six raised beds and then I have an in-ground planting space and then I have some half whiskey barrels as well with some plants in there. So you're using raised beds, in-ground beds, and containers every way you can plant your planting. Yes, every way you can plant. I'm planting to maximize the space. And so I have some purple basil in one of the whiskey barrels. I have a eucalyptus in one with some nasturtiums as a ground ground cover under it. I have a, a jasmine and, and one to trail up my pergola. And so in a whiskey barrel. But in my plant, in my braised bed, they rotate throughout the year. But I have some collard greens that I have for a year and a half in one of them. I have some kale, lettuce, different lettuces, cool season, the karate. Kohlrabi, a lot of cool season crops right now. Kohlrabi, I have turnip in another one. But I have my trombone squash sharing the space with the turnip because it's, it's a summer crop, but it's still producing. And I just planted my turnips in that space too. So they're sharing the space happily in one of the raised beds. I have some peas in another raised bed sharing the space with the kohlrabi. And then in the ground, I have some more collard greens, some mustard greens. My eggplant, I told you I've been, been there for two years. It's still going on. I have some tree collards, which are perennial collard greens that will last for many years and it will last about 20 degrees or so, 15, 20 degrees. And then I have one of my African blue basils, my biggest one, which is probably about five feet tall now and three feet wide. And it's in the ground? In the ground. Right, okay. Yeah, that one's in the ground. I have a uh, little cotto avocado, which is a dwarf avocado tree. And I have a tent mango in the ground in this space as well. And then I have my other raised bed, two raised beds. I have some okra that's still producing at one of them. Some garlic, kale, peas on a trellis. I have some beans on another trellis that are are still flowering and producing. uh, Some chard and some celery. And then I, I forgot to mention on my level before this, I have a kitchen garden, which are like quick accessible herbs to, to get to. Although I have more herbs on the property, these are just quick ones. So I have some, some rosemary, thyme, oregano, sage, 
parsley, chives, dill. I can just run out quickly and grab them and bring them back to the kitchen to cook with them. Yeah, I think that's something every gardener should have is right outside of your door, whether it's a patio, whatever your space is, just all of the, the essential cooking herbs within a hand's reach so you can get right back to cooking. Definitely. I think that's also a great way to even just get started gardening is to start with a small little kitchen garden with something simple as herbs. Yeah, I like that. It's a great way to get started. Tell me about your food forest, man. Yeah, so that's for the upper level. The upper level is all hill. So after that, I have a small little strip after my retaining wall, like in between two retaining walls. This is where I started the, the majority of my fruit trees. So I have a strawberry guava, dwarf lemon, dwarf lime, and dwarf orange. And dwarf trees will still give you full-size fruit. They just don't take up as much space. So I was a narrow space, but I wanted to fully utilize it. So I grew on those dwarf varieties that allow me the opportunity to still get some fruit in that small, narrow space. So above there, I have my food forest. And this is when I have about 70 fruit trees, shrubs, or vines. And the majority, I'll say maybe 95% of the plants on this hill in the food forest are edible. There's a couple that are ornamental. Like I have some milkweed there because I always try to incorporate space for the butterfly. So Explain what the concept of a food forest is. So basically, it's having a it's permaculture. You have permanent plants in your space. So you're not tilling up the ground every season. It's a permanent space to eat. So And I eat year-round here because I grow year-round in our climate. So I have fruit trees and shrubs. And mimics in a forest. That forest. If you go out in a forest, there's tall trees, short trees, shrubs, vines, ground cover. And however, in the food forest space, everything's edible. You know? So I have bananas, pias, nectarines, peaches, pears. I have citrus, plums, guava, figs. And also pote, cherimoya. I have a great variety. And they all get ready at different uh, low crops. They all get ready at different times of the year so that I can eat different things but have produce year-round. So the concept is you have three different layers, a tall layer, a medium layer, and a low layer. And you're planting things. I'm assuming that to have 75 plants, you're planting extremely intensively in close quarters to other plants. But you're just growing it at different levels. Yes, like I have some things that I grow, like bananas. I have bananas that I grow pretty tall. Then I have some of my citrus will say smaller. I have my lime trees in a say smaller. And I have it towards the edge because they do like sunlight and it's still going to get the sunlight there. I also have loquats, which is tolerate shade and are actually under storage. So I was intentional with my planting. So some trees will be taller. My papaya, the papayas are tall, but they're skinny. They're narrow. Their leaves spread out a little bit, but all things considered, they're more narrow than some of the other trees. They're, they're really not a tree. They're a herbaceous plant. But same thing with bananas. But, you know, the papayas can't take up as much space as some of the other plants. And then I have some dwarf varieties of some of the trees that are keeping smaller as well. But with any trees, even if they're standard or dwarf size, you can control the height with your effective plant, effective pruning with your planting. Yeah, that's important. I had a buddy of mine. He actually lived in California and he had a lemon tree. He had a lemon tree, but he had it cut in box shape and it was in between a walkway between two doors. Uh, It was just cool to see. So I was just saying, yeah, I agree and have seen how important it is to prune your trees to where you can keep them in the shape that you want them as opposed to letting them run wild. Yes, absolutely. I have some of my trees, I have them pruned with a wide open center V-shape so it allows sunlight to get through. 
center of the tree, and then you get your, a lot of your food along the exterior of the tree. So I'll let my next arena have that room into that V-shape. And then you can keep them at a certain size. And everything doesn't have to be 10, 20 feet apart. When you go into nature, that's not how things are grown. You know, now you ain't, people will tell you, oh, you need 10, 20 feet between each plant. And no, you really don't. I'm only growing around, around 3,000 square feet. I think I'm utilizing about that. So, you know, I haven't had any issues and I'm getting harvest. I just picked some of the apples, one of my favorite apple trees, and they give two to three harvests a year. I just picked my second harvest a couple of weeks ago. I have one in my yard. Really? Yeah, I just planted it eight months ago, six, eight months ago. So it's pretty small. Didn't grow that much this year. Hasn't started yielding. But I'm looking forward to Anna Apple. Yeah, and my, my start producing, and I planted, I think I had my Anna Apple a year and a half. And so I planted last July, and then I had my, it had some blooms on it, and I think it bloomed in March this year, February or March. And then I had my first harvest in July, and then it started blooming again in late July. And now I had my second harvest in November. In your food forest, do you have to have pollinator plants for all of these? I have cultivars that are self-pollinating, but I do have more than one for most of the trees. So that even self-pollinating trees do better when you have a second tree. You'll get a bigger yield. When I, my Anna apple produced, that was my only apple tree, but I got two more since then. Actually, yeah, I got two more since then. So next year, with pollinators, you have to make sure they both bloom around the same time. Because there's early season, mid-season, late-season trees, fruit trees. So you have to make sure when you're choosing your pollinators to be intentional so that they bloom at the same time so that they can cross-pollinate. I have Anna apple and I have Dorset. And Dorset and, uh, and Anna will cross-pollinate. So next year, hopefully, they'll both be blooming and I'll actually get uh, cross-pollination going on. And I have a Beverly Hills apple as well. So you don't need necessarily need a second tree for pollination if you have a self-pollinating variety. Okay. I also have a Dorset apple, the golden Dorset uh, in my yard. Yeah. Yeah, hoping that it really helps the Anna whenever they both start fruiting. Yeah, from what I heard is so the Anna apples, it'll fill out more if you have a pollinator versus if you don't, it has a more oval-shaped apple. So my apples are more oval-shaped this year. But I heard that when you have a, have a pollinator, it'll make the apple a little bit more round. Uh, I'll see for sure this upcoming year. So what do you have for your ground cover level in your food for? Strawberries, nasturtiums, some mint, lemon balm. I have a couple of different types of mint. So that's some of my ground covers. Where were you first introduced to this concept of a food forest or even permaculture also? Just, I was just online, actually, because... Well, growing up, we had fruit trees. I guess some of it growing up, but it wasn't as extensive. Now, we have fruit trees, and then we had stuff planted around them as well. But I didn't learn more about it until I got older. Looking online, really, and just kind of seeing how different people were growing, and just kind of thinking, like, why why are we growing everything so separate instead of incorporating things planted together? So even in my other space, even in my raised bed, even in my in the ground planting areas, I have flowers, intermediate marigolds, and and I have my African blue basil, which brings a lot of pollinators. And I have others. I have sunflowers growing in different spaces. Because, I, you know, you got to bring in your pollinators. And why aren't you growing and utilizing your full space of incorporating flowers with your vegetables? Everything doesn't have to be separate. So I started thinking more along those lines. And that's how I really got into it more. Uh, why is everything growing separately? That's not the best for the environment. It's not what you see in nature, you know? Right. So 
that's how I, I just changed my mindset a little bit. Yeah, I agree. That's very true. I think a lot of gardeners, if they were to incorporate a lot more herbs and flowers into their plantings, they would probably end up with less pest problems. Man, that was a lot of peace. Yeah. They'll probably end up with a lot less pest problems. <laughs> exactly. I have a friend out here in Houston, call her my best friend. Her name on the internet is Flora Cosina. She's the one who really got me into growing a lot more edible flowers in my garden. I would always mix flowers and herbs in, but uh, yeah, she kind of introduced me to the whole edible flowers. What are some of your favorite ones? Favorite edible flowers or just favorite flowers and things to mix? Your favorite uh, edible flower? I think she gave me the seeds to grow butterfly pea flowers. Yeah, so we eat those quite often. I don't know. I, you know, I have to try those out. Yeah, man, I, I think I have some seeds. I can probably send you some okay. for you to add to your garden, man. I should have some seeds. And if not, I guess this is being recorded. So now I have to send you some seeds. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So I noticed on IG, you do a lot or you post the sunset videos, man. Can you kind of give me give me like the idea and how the, the concept of the sunset videos came? Because I really enjoyed them. That's why I'm asking. What's up, world? I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, then you should head over to YouTube and subscribe to the Big City Gardener YouTube channel. I'm going to have videos to go along with a lot of these podcasts. And besides that, over there, I give you a bunch of information to help you just grow it and even to help you just grow it better. All right, let's get back to the show. I'm a musician, so I, I like I like music. I like R&B music, old school music. I guess it's, it's old school now, like 80s, 90s music, right? So <laughs> <laughs> that's what the most of my sunset jails are. It's just, uh, it's just I go up to the top of my property around sunset time and just play an old school jam. Uh, listen to it, gives you time to relax on wine, enjoy the sunset. So that's pretty much what it is. It's a sunset jam. So I do that periodically throughout the week and so I love listening to music. I listen to music while I'm gardening so I like to share share music with other people as well. And a lot of people are like, man, this took me back. I haven't heard this in a long time. <laughs> man, it gave me some memories from back in the day with such and such. <laughs> people hit me up all the time like <laughs> Yeah man. But yeah. Well I wanna say thank you for doing that because I enjoy I enjoy the sunset post that you put up. I'm glad you enjoy, man. Yeah, man. So you say you listen to music when you're gardening. What are what are some of your favorite artists to listen to when you're gardening? Robert Glasper, Anita Baker, Babyface. We do some chill stuff. <laughs> like real you know? music. Yeah, real music. <laughs> use some, I usually listen to some, something chill. Give me in a vibe. Yeah, I like it. I respect it, man. All right, so I have a couple more questions for you. Do you have any tips for new gardeners who may be a little, I don't know, apprehensive or nervous about gardening. Just start small. You don't have to overwhelm yourself when you first start out. Just start small. Get you a, uh, you can grow in a variety of spaces. So even if you just have a patio or you have a deck, doesn't mean you can't grow. You can grow in whiskey barrels. There's vertical planters you can use. They're like powers. You can get uh, planters on legs. You can get, they have like cedar, narrow planters. You can, you can use a lot of different varieties of planters that you can use, uh, different sizes. They have narrow ones. They have round ones. Right square, rectangular. So you just find out what works best for your space. And you don't need very large planters. Most vegetables, they don't have very deep roots. Yeah, I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that. 
Because I know the roots for vegetables, they're probably in the top, I don't know, 6 to 12 inches of soil. Exactly. All right. So you can grow a lot of things in, in shallow planters. Yes. And they will do well. You know, most things, they don't have a deep root. So if you have an in-ground space, and grow, grow in-ground. You know, I always just ask for some organic matter, you know, to my soil. And then the biggest thing that you have to learn what your growing season is. Right. That's the biggest thing. And when to grow what? That's how you learn. Like, for instance, here in California, I told you I have these fruit trees. But there's a lot of these fruit trees that I have to be very intentional with. Like the ones that you typically find in colder climates are deciduous fruit trees here. Apples and and uh, pears and plums and nectarines and you know all that kind of stuff. We have to grow low chill varieties because our climate is so warm. Chill hours hours below forty five degrees, and if you don't get a lot of them, then you need to find varieties of fruit trees that are normally cold weather fruit trees that have low chill hours. So for us, they do better with. 200, 300 chill hours or below. The lower, the better here where I'm at in Los Angeles. But you don't have necessarily have that problem in a colder climate. You just have to make sure you don't give varieties that say low chill because they'll start producing their flowers too early. You might get nipped from a freeze. Right. So it's, it's the opposite pretty much. Okay. Other than that, you have to grow during your growing season. Where I grew up in Ohio, our growing season was May through October, sometimes November if we're lucky. So don't plant in February or March. Don't plant as soon as it gets you get the first warm days in March because we still have a chance to freeze all the way to May. So you just have to know all that. You can start your seeds in a greenhouse or indoors or something like that if you want to get a jump start. But as far as outside planting, you have to wait till your growing season starts before you know, your danger of frost has ended before you can start planting. And then you have to also know about your cool season crop. When your growing season first starts, plant your cool season crops. You can plant those in. You can plant your warmer season crops. So like in Ohio, I would start my cool season crop sometime in April, late April. Even when there's a chance of occasional frost, they were still hardy. So like collard greens and kale and stuff like that, they would still be okay. And so for early May, I would plant my peas and, and leafy greens. And then I would plant my corn probably in, I would wait till maybe the middle of May to plant my corn. Sometimes early May, you just kind of depend on what the year was looking like. But, you know, just kind of knowing when to plant what. And then for the fall, to get a second harvest of cool season crops in the fall back in Ohio, I would plant in late July or early August. That way the plants had enough time to mature before the first freeze hit in October. So you still have the whole fall to plant to eat more greens and to have any of your other cool season crops again. Some cool season crops bolt in the summer, like your lettuce, lettuce and mustard greens, for example. They only last for so long. I and mean, then they'll grow flowers. The lettuce will become very bitter. You have to kill it up and you can replant. It's, it's just things like that you have to learn through the experience. But the biggest thing is to know when your growing season is and what to plant during your growing season. There's different guides out there as well that can help. But I say start them off and then work your way up. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't get overwhelmed and go crazy all at once unless you have the time. You have to learn how much time it takes. Because <laughs> it does take some time and effort. <laughs> Everything does to be successful. Right. Right. So you mentioned low chill hours. You have to plant varieties with low chill hours. I do also here in Houston. But yeah. just because we're in the same 
actually, you told me this. Just because we're in the same zone, 9A, 9B, or a similar zone, we can be in different sunset zones. Isn't that what you told me? Yes, that's correct. All right. Tell everybody what sunset zones are. Right. So I'm in 10B and where I'm at in Los Angeles, but Los Angeles as a whole ranges from maybe, like if you go up to the high desert there, 8B through 9, and then some parts of LA are 10A, some are 10B, like in the actual city of Los Angeles. I'm in 10B, which is the same as Southern Florida and some parts of Hawaii. And so there, our climates are way different. Hawaii, Southern Florida, they're humid, a lot more rain. We here in LA, we don't have the humidity. We don't have all the moisture. Same USDA hardness zone, which is the same coldest USDA hardness zone as this year, which our coldest temperature typically gets in the winter. So it's the same. However, our climate is quite different. So sunset zones tailor towards your, they tailor towards your microclimate. So it takes into consideration humidity, elevation, your water, uh, air influence from the ocean, for instance, your any influence you get from valleys. So we're taking into consideration all of that with your planting. And so, for instance, lavender struggles in a lot of places because it's too humid, but it's perfect in our climate. We're in Mediterranean climate and it loves the Mediterranean climate. So there's different things like that. So, you know, did you just explain to me why my lavender plant does not go crazy in my garden? It's because it does not rock with my sunset zone. Yeah, you have to find a very specific cultivar. Very specific cultivar. There are some that can tolerate more humidity than others, but some lavender is not going to tolerate that humidity. It doesn't like it. It likes the more dry climate, the Mediterranean climate. So where do you find out about your sunset zone? You just put in a search sunset zone. It's a sunset zone. It's a magazine. They have a magazine, but they're also, the zones are on there as well. You can just do a Google search and find it and it'll just pop right up. Sunset climate zone. Now that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense because like you mentioned earlier, let's say California and Florida, they could be in the same 10B zone. Even Southern Texas could be 10A, 10B, but those are completely different climates. Yes. Ah, that's why you plant different varieties in different cities. Okay. Yeah. So it's like you have to learn. Like I was telling you about that lavender. It hates having a lot of moisture will kill that thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I go through that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just your it's you gotta learn about your your sunset zone, it'll help tailors. I use both. So your winter hardiness, it helps like you you know you can't grow a banana tree. You can't grow a fruiting banana tree in Ohio. It's not in the work. Too cold in the winter. There is a banana tree that's very hardy. It's an ornamental one right so you won't get any food off of it but knowing that and it's even it's even relevant you know here here in los angeles i have some clients in the high desert which gets colder in the winter time so they can't grow they can't grow bananas or citrus there either because it's, it's too cold it'll get nipped during the winter now it does it they bounce up every day it'll be like enough they might get to the 20s or teens at night and bounce right up to the 50s in the daytime 60s in the daytime however that cold too many of those days where it gets below uh, below 32 degrees and so they're not in the lab. Bananas, lava, stuff like that is going to kill it because it gets too cold too often. Some things can tolerate an occasional nip of cold weather, but too many of them is not in the work. Yeah, man. Cold weather just came through and knocked out all my basil plants. See? But you in your Mediterranean climate with your 75 degrees right now, you're not experiencing anything like that, are you? No, we're not. No, nah, your basil's still going strong, huh? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, our basil is still going. All the basils are going. So I have five different kinds. Got the pesto basil, the purple basil, African blue basil, holy tulsi basil. I have two different holy basils. I have like I have a Krishna and a, and a tulsi. Those are both going. Tulsi is my favorite one. Yeah, mine too. I like that smell a lot. Yeah, yeah. I make it into tea. I dry the leaves and dry the flowers and and use them in my tea blends. Man, nice. Hey, so what was it like? transitioning from gardening up north in Ohio and then Chicago into gardening in the Mediterranean climate of Los Angeles? I mean, like your first gardening season in Los Angeles, were you successful? So it's a, it was way different because I'm coming from six USDA zone 6B. Right. Both in Chicago and in uh, when I was, where I'm at in Ohio, Cleveland area. So it was way different in a good way. The good thing is I was able to grow year round. <laughs> But the bad thing is we don't have the rain. <laughs> now, we get a lot of rain in the Midwest, a lot of moisture all year round, you know. So that was an adjustment to figure out that I had the water more often here and how frequent I had the water. So I had to get adjusted to that. But then on the, on the back end, I can grow year round. So I was happy about that. That was, that was a major difference. Yeah. Is there anything that you are not able to grow in your climate down in the 10B Mediterranean, it's still 90 degrees outside climate that you are in. Is there anything that you wish you were able to grow that you cannot? The thing that I wish I could grow that I can't, there's a couple things. Pineapples are hard to grow here and coconuts won't grow here either. Pineapples, some people have had success growing in a container. Mine aren't really doing, I have two of them, they're not really doing too much of anything. They're still alive, but it's a humidity issue. We don't have the humidity. So if I was, yeah, for the coconut, it gets a little bit too cold. Our nights get a little bit too cold and we don't have the humidity as well. So those are two things. Since our climate's so dry, we have big swings throughout the day. Not as big as the, our desert here, but we might be, like even now we, uh, we're in the 40s at night and well, we're in the winter, so, but 40s at night and we're, we've been in the 70s in the daytime. And then sometimes in the summer, we don't get a lot of humid night. We get some. The latter part of our summer gets humid sometimes, but it gets hot. Like we get 90s and 100s. Oh, see that the past couple of years that I've been in LA, a lot of that comes in August, but September and October. We had a big heat wave in September this year and in October where we got over 100 degrees. And so the latter part of our summer is really hot. And that's when we may get warm nights where it might be in the 70s at nighttime, occasionally 80 at night and 100 in the daytime. But for the most part, we, although it may be in the 90s in the daytime, we drive back down in the 60s at nighttime. See, that's beautiful. You come to Houston and it's it's 105 during the day and then it's 91 at nighttime. Yeah, we don't get that. <laughs> Not here in L.A. In the Palm Springs, which is a couple hours away from here, we do have some deserts that get hot like that, stay hot in the daytime and at night. Don't have the humidity that necessarily that you guys have, but we'll have that intense heat. The only thing is we don't get that humidity. Once in a while, we get a, a monsoon effect in the summer for a little while, but it doesn't happen often enough for an extended period. That humidity is something different, man. Like, I don't mind the heat, but when it's 100 plus and 100 plus humidity, <laughs> it's a dangerous combination. Yeah, I'm used to, like back in Ohio, we get the humidity in the summertime. So we get very, from June to August, it's humid. It's humid like down south humid. Okay. <laughs> when it is humid. <laughs> I'm used to having that humidity in the summer. And that's all the way I don't have here. Yeah, man, I definitely understand. Well, you're not missing much, man. If I could get rid of the humidity, I definitely would. <laughs> 
Yeah. Armin, I have one. I have a question for you. I meant to ask it earlier, but I'll ask it now. Talk to me about Farmer Ken. Man, how did you come up with the idea to, I guess, go online with your passion and love for gardening? So I've been doing gardening for years and my friends kept urging me to go ahead and go ahead and start your garden uh, online. Go ahead and start a garden account. My, my friend UG and my, my friend Jocelyn, two of my friends, Octavia, they were, they were all urging me, go ahead and start. Start your Instagram. Farmer can <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why. Why would I? Uh, I don't know. And I, I didn't realize. You know, I'm just like in my head. I think that everybody. I, my head told me everyone gardens. You know, why would I start? I don't think you know people are gonna. Why are they gonna do that? I don't, I don't know. It's just like I'm just gardening. So I went ahead and started it in um, November last year. Okay. And started an Instagram page, posted a couple pictures up, and then I would post would post my progress throughout the winter and. And I started posting more, maybe March. And then it started taking off. I was surprised. You know, a lot of people were hitting me up for advice or, and reaching out saying they love what I was doing. And, and then June hit and it took off from there. And that's when it really exploded. And I went ahead and started a, a Farmer Ken Etsy shop and officially launched a business so that I could help other people start their garden phase. So with my the company, the Farmer Ken, uh, a couple of things I'm doing, I have my community garden initiative, right, which is something I'll be doing at no cost. That's just something I'm going to give back to the community. But then the, on the business aspect, I have my Etsy account. The Farmer Ken Etsy account, my Etsy shop. I did do some things at a farmer's market when COVID died down a little bit this summer for a little while. I did it for about a month. When COVID went back up. I haven't been back to a farmer's market. And then also garden consultation. And so that's the other thing. Garden consultation, I help people start their own edible garden spaces. We do a consultation call at first where I get out. We talk about, you know, what they would like to grow. They give me a tour of their space and then they come up with a garden plan. And then I implement their garden. So I can come out to the garden, to the space, and then we plant their garden space. And during that process, I'm also coaching and guiding so that people know how to how to grow their own so that they can keep, keep it sustained and plant in the future. And then when they, at the back end, I give them a garden plan with currently growing and then some suggestions for future planting in their garden space. So I've had a large variety of clientele. I have people that who had apartments that we planted out there, their deck and patio. I've had uh, rooftop gardens, both uh, I had a downtown LA rooftop garden space garage rooftop garden space and then I had a large in-ground planting in the high desert recently where we planted maybe about 15 fruit trees and started a raised bed we have 16 raised beds and we're going to expand out more in the spring so there's been a, a variety of clientele and you can grow in a variety of spaces you just have to be creative in your space you can grow from anywhere from an apartment with a, with a you know small deck patio to a very large yard Hey, the project in the desert that you just mentioned, did you just put that up on Instagram recently? I did. Yeah, I saw it. Super dope. Super dope. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, we uh, started it and then uh, we're going to finish it in the spring uh, because uh, the high desert, they get cold in the wintertime. So we planted some uh, hardy. The fruit trees are fine. You can plant your fruit trees in the fall. You know, they're going to lose their leaves, come back out in the spring. And we planted some of the hardy herbs because they're nine. Uh, that garden space is a 9A. You would see it in a 9A. So we planted some hardy herbs and we planted some of the very hardy vegetables like the collard greens and kale that can withstand freezes. Um, and we planted some 
garlic, which will be fine, green onions, and carrots. So they should all be fine. And everything else we're going to plant in the spring, expand out even more in the spring. We got his other herbs in the ground for that client. We got a uh, mint, which is hardy and tolerate freezes and, you know, things. Uh, we planted the strawberries. So all that kind of stuff, all the hardy, all the hardy stuff we planted. Nice. So that you get a jump start and then come on out in the spring. Yeah, man, I saw it. Like I said, I saw it on IG and, uh, it was super dope space, super dope space. I can't wait for all this nonsense to be over. I want to get out to L.A., man, and just kind of take a look at the whole gardening scene out there in L.A. Yeah, man, come on out. Definitely will do. I definitely will do. All right, man, I want to tell you, thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the show. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? You can uh, get in touch with me by uh, going to my Instagram at Farmerkin Official. At you know that'd be the easiest way to get in touch with me. You can also reach me at if you send me an email to farmerkinofficial at gmail dot com. That's way to get a hold of me. That's it. So for any of you magazines, newspapers trying to get in touch with Farmer Ken. That is how you get in touch with him. Once again, man, thank you for taking. That's how you get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for taking time out to do this. Thank you. Before I let you go, I need you to do more than one thing. First, I need you to like, comment, subscribe to the podcast. Second, I need you to tell a friend or two about the show if you enjoyed it. And if you have anybody you think I need to talk to, I should interview, send the name over, put it in the comments, or send me an email, I grow at Big City Gardener. And check me out, man, on Instagram and on all social media platforms, Big City Gardener. We out. Oh, almost forgot. Just grow it. <laughs>